This is episode 112 of the Landscape Photography Show, and before we get into today's episode, I just want to thank everybody over on Patreon who supports the podcast and in return gets access to bonus audio from every single episode, as well as extra benefits attached to each tier. So if you're interested in that, if you want to hear bonus audio from not only today's episode, which we're going to get into in just a second, but also a backlog of all of those discussions that we've had throughout the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash David Johnston and sign up for a tier that fits your budget out of $5, or $20 a month. And each one of those supporting members of the podcast helps to continue the podcast going week after week. So again, that's patreon.com slash David Johnston. Now in today's episode, we're talking with photographer Nick Nagane about his intentional style of photography. I found it really intriguing of all of the progressions that Nick has gone through throughout his life, his experience as a photographer, and all of the different landscapes that he's photographed and and kind of the journey that led him to more intentional photography. And coming out of a place like Rochester, New York, I found that even more intriguing. Normally you hear of that style, you know, in Utah, uh, California, and Nick has shot in California before and lived there before, but going from a place like California to Rochester, that's a really interesting jump. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, guys? We're here with Nick Nagane, and Nick is joining us from New York today. Nick, uh, what I always like to do when, not only for for myself, when, when I get to talk to a new photographer and meet them for the first time, but also for everybody listening, if they've never heard of you or if this is their first time being introduced to you, I would love personally, myself, to hear how you got into photography and uh, what led you to the point you're at right now doing photography full-time? Hi, David. Uh, it's really nice to talk to you. And uh, about um, how I started uh, in photography is, I think uh, it's a common uh, tale, uh, is uh, f- my love for the outdoors. Uh, ever since I was a kid, I really enjoyed going out into the nature, hiking, camping. And that's how um, I developed my love for photography as well, because I wanted to document uh, where I was going, uh, where I was staying. Uh, So that's how um, I started out. What? You you grew up in India, correct? Right. And uh, where I grew up in India, it's a city called Pune, and it's surrounded by mountains, uh, various mountain ranges. So we used to go hike on these mountains and camp there. And uh, it's a really picturesque area. So many photography opportunities over there also. Uh, but what I would say uh, my real photography journey is uh, when I started photographing with intent. Uh, that started uh, maybe five or six years ago. Um, and uh, f- uh, during that time, I was already in the United States. I was shooting uh, in California. 
and um, going to various national parks and state parks uh, in California. That's how I got really started in photography. There's so many comparing elements to your story. Um, and, and that's just to your journey, not to compare you to other photographers, but just to your own journey. What was it like for you, you know, growing up in India and then moving over to the States? Was there a culture shock when you came over? Uh, obviously, the lack of good Indian food in the United States, I'm, I'm sure, is one. Um, I wouldn't say uh, more much of a cultural shock, but um, being away from home, you always have that uh, feeling of uh, being away from your family and friends. But I think uh, that's where nature also played a part. So I was able to go back in nature, going go back to mountains of California, Southern California, and find that famili- familiarity and uh, try to uh, find something I really like back in India, uh, uh, something over here in California. So that was really nice. Were the mountain landscapes similar to one another? Uh, no, not really. Um, but I mean, still, I, I like to hike mountains. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was nice. I mean, uh, deserts of uh, California is something I've never really experienced back in India from where I was. So that was really nice uh, to explore new kinds of landscapes. Uh, And um, so, yeah, that was the familiar part. Now, California to Rochester, where you're joining us from today. Right. uh, Also, completely different landscapes. I, I always talk to photographers from west coast and some from the east coast and the the vast difference of landscape is is staggering to me what did you find when you put boots on the ground in rochester uh, as difficulty for for you as a photographer i mean um when i when i came to new york uh, one of the major changes uh, one of the new things i noticed compared to southern california was uh, the vast amounts of uh, the woodlands that I was able to shoot over here. Those were not available back in Southern California. So uh, that was something I really enjoyed, shooting uh, forests, uh, different scenes in uh, uh, woods, uh, like shooting in fog and then uh, autumn foliage. That was also very new. Uh, But I really enjoyed that because I thought uh, that was something very similar to what I had back in India. and in within in New York, uh, I really like to go shoot in the Adirondack Mountains, uh, which is uh, uh, which is uh, located on the eastern side of New York. And there you get uh, you have mountains like really tall mountains, and then along with that you have uh, vast uh, lands of uh, wilderness where you can go shoot uh, woodlands. So that was really nice. More difficult locations to shoot in oh definitely compared compared to uh some of the locations such as death valley i i really enjoyed uh spending time in death valley and shooting in death valley but you don't have those kind of grand landscapes as much as you have in uh, california so that was also one of my intentions uh to find um something that can be uh um more intimate uh, more detail-oriented uh, within the landscapes of uh, Adirondack Mountains. 
What do you think in, in your photography journey led you to go the route of smaller scenes and intimate landscapes? Um, I mean, uh, yeah, like uh, w- one thing I mentioned before was uh, I would say lack of the number, uh, like uh, the number of grand landscapes you have itself in in Adirondack Mountains. That's one thing. And then the second thing was to f- to try to find something newer that was not done a lot uh, in the Adirondack Mountains. That was another thing. But then uh, more importantly, it was just uh, uh, the lack of interest I had for uh, grand landscapes. I just kept, uh, I didn't have the uh, intent to f- to go more into grand landscapes, but I've, I, I really enjoyed finding details within a smaller scene. And uh, I think that's the main reason why I shifted towards uh, smaller scenes and intimate landscapes. Mm. I think uh, those can uh, tell a story and um, uh, a story behind the image more more easily than uh, than a grand landscape can. That's what I feel like. What do you think it was about those grand landscapes that made it difficult for you to, to tell a story there? Um, more importantly, uh, the, the number of times you see those pictures, mm. uh, in the social media and, uh, taken, uh, taken by other photographers, it's like hard to find uh, a story of your own along with those grand landscapes. Uh, that's what I feel. Uh, but compared that to a small scene, I mean, those can be so, uh, unique. I think that would be something that can be used to tell a story uh, of a story of your own more easily. You know, you've talked about your journey in photography, um, self-expression on your website, you go into pretty in-depth detail about inner self and self-expression through small scene and intimate landscape photography. Was that something that you had to learn over time or has that always been something that's pretty easy for you to do? No, I think that's something I'm trying to learn uh, e- even even as I go right now. Uh, but that's, uh, I think um, one of the things I mentioned over there is uh, um, my desire to create new images uh, from locations I can go back again and again. Uh, I think I call it, I mean, I, I, I call it as a backyard photography. So it's not really just your backyard uh, behind your house, but it's like the area around uh, uh, where you live, uh, where you can go again and again and try to find different kinds of compositions, uh, different moods. And uh, you go there uh, in different seasons uh, to see, understand the dynamic nature of the landscape. Um, I mean, I think I mentioned one of uh, one of the quotes uh, by John Muir uh, over there, which is uh, something like between every two pines there's a whole new world so uh, what i interpret that as if you can go to the same locations with a different perspective every time i think you can come come up with uh, different uh, images in the same area so that's something i'm trying to explore more even uh, even today i'm trying to learn and uh, get better at that how is that learning process difficult Oh, I mean, uh, first of all, uh, I mean, you're 
you have to look at your peers uh, or the photography in general, uh, the movement, how it is going. Uh, you don't uh, have many photographers uh, that are doing intimate landscapes. Actually, now um, I'm getting more and more people around me that are doing those, but it's not uh, the the popular kind of photography. Uh, more popular is uh, grand landscapes and you don't have that kind of uh, the glory, I would say, uh, within intimate landscapes. But I think that's one of the challenges uh, in intimate landscapes. You know, one of the things, and, and you can correct me if, if I'm wrong uh, or if you see it a different way. One of the things that, that I've been seeing over the past year or so is the progression towards intimate landscape from grand landscape. And that could be due to the lack of travel that, that we currently have, uh, difficulty of travel with regulations or uh, different things like that that are outside factors. But, you know, looking at contests that have gone on this year, I've seen more and more winning images that are small scenes, no horizon lines and focus on texture, pattern, composition and color. Uh, uh, do you see the same thing moving in the direction. Oh yeah, definitely. And uh, like consider you you mentioned the contest, uh, the the lands the what was that the latest uh, contest? The I latest think. was the natural uh, landscape photography competition, but but also others. I've seen it moving oh, yeah. in the same direction but, too. Yeah, I mean, since they had a certain category in there, which 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 was called intimate landscape, so that was really nice, right? Compare that to other other competitions such as uh, international landscape photographer of the year. So I feel like uh, if you enter uh, an intimate landscape over there, it might get, um, I mean, it, it won't score as much. Uh, it just uh, overshadowed by different uh, grand landscapes. But that was really nice, uh, uh, nice thing to see, which was new uh, in the Natural Landscape Photography Awards. I, I found it challenging for myself to visit the same locations over and over. Uh, and, and that's due to frustrations just, just with conditions, but also um, outside, trying to think of the word I'm trying to say here, outside influence on kind of like what you were saying with grand landscapes and, and having those as the end all be all to landscape mm -hmm. photography, uh, wide angle photography, things like that. Um, do, do you let that have an influence on you as well? Or do you kind of just shrug it off and do your own thing? Uh, no, I mean, um, I, I don't feel uh, um, like maybe I, I don't feel frustrated uh, going back to the same locations. In fact, I take it as a challenge, uh, more, more or less, uh, when I go to these locations, uh, and more importantly than that, um, it's not about uh, photographing when I go there. Um, I mean, I just want to go back to these locations and just spend my time over there. And uh, it's like, uh, I don't have uh, maybe, uh, what can I say? I don't want, I don't have any expectations as such uh, of capturing different images. But if I do get something if i do find a composition that's new or if i feel a certain kind of emotion within a, a certain small scene only then i would capture an image that's what i feel like so that's that's one of maybe one of the reasons why i'm not feeling frustrated when i go back to the same locations 
And I'm also trying to incorporate uh, different perspectives. For example, I'm also trying to use uh, my my uh, drone to capture different abstracts within these uh, landscapes. So these are uh, uh, abstract aerial landscapes. So I try to find uh, uh, like maybe interaction between land and water uh, to see if you can find something that is uh, like maybe like shapes and patterns within these landscapes. So having that different lands, uh, different perspective also helps. You know, one of the things that I've felt using a drone in, in that same fashion of kind of getting a different perspective and a different composition of a, of a landscape that you've been to several times, or maybe even photographed several times is the pressure of finding something before the battery goes dead and, and oh, yeah. work, working with a, a composition. That's a big challenge. Yeah. yeah. How do you manage that though? Looking for something? Uh, I, I do spend a lot of time on Google Earth. I really like uh, to just spend hours and hours uh, to f uh, try to find different uh, compositions using Google Earth. There's, uh, there are certain uh, apps. For example, there's an app called uh, PhotoPills where you can enter the model of your drone and that will help you. Um, that will tell you what the... Um, what the framing of the picture will be and that helps you to compose different images like i i can uh, find if maybe a meandering river or a patch of uh, forest and uh, use that framing to uh, compose before i go to the location uh, and then um, yeah you have maybe like 30 minutes 20 20 minutes of battery life to take that image i think that's plenty of time once you have composed it already in google earth who are some of the inspirations and friendships that you've formed through photography? Um, inspirations, uh, I would say uh, a big inspiration for me for uh, small scenes and intimate landscapes is uh, uh, Gaital, obviously. But uh, besides that, I also really like the work of uh, Sarah Marino, uh, Alistair, ben, Alistair Ben, and then... Um, uh, maybe uh, for aerial landscapes, uh, abstract aerial landscapes, uh, there's a photographer, I think she's based in Canada. Uh, her name is Carolyn Cheng. I think she's been on your uh, podcast before. Uh, and uh, Paul Hoylan, I think I'm saying her name right. But besides that, there are many uh, local photographers. Uh, a dear friend of mine, Soikat Chakrabarti, I really enjoy his work. He also does a lot of intimate landscapes. Uh, so yeah, having those people in your uh, vision of, uh, I mean, in your line of sight, it's really helpful to find inspiration. Have you learned anything about yourself through this new strategy of photography, of, of intimates, um, looking for inner self and photographing for emotion rather than jaw-dropping grand scenes? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, I think... Uh, uh, I've come to understand uh, that I am a very emotional person. Um, I, I think it might be uh, difficult for certain people to find uh, uh, maybe uh, a certain kind of emotion uh, that easily in a in a in a, in a scene. But I feel like it's been uh, more easy for me because uh, I think I'm more uh, attuned, in tune with that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so I think 
that's one of the things I've learned. Emotion, a lot of times can be a difficult thing to show in an image. Are there certain ways that you're doing that, whether that be through composition or through the editing process that, that you're achieving, showing not only your, your inner emotion, but also eliciting an emotion from the viewer? I think um, composition plays a big role uh, in uh, eliciting certain emotions, but more importantly, it's uh, the choice of uh, uh, the color scheme, the color balance you use also is uh, playing a big role. Um, but uh, besides that, having uh, certain elements in your image such as for example let's talk about fog that's like immediately tells you uh, gives you the emotion of uh, maybe longing or mystery so that's like um, uh, fog is one of those things or if you have like really vibrant colors in in an image that's like more more of a happy uh, or yeah those kind of emotions so i think that helps with those you know the no expectation thing for me, if we can just bounce ideas off of each other as, as common photographers is it's a struggle for me and, and putting a condition in that would match that is a struggle for me because so many times I go out into the field and, you know, I'm, I'm sad or I'm down that day or I'm just like busy and, and clouded in my mind and looking for the right conditions to match that. Uh, and, and oftentimes missing those, uh, it could be a bright sunny day. If I'm going out and photographing during that emotion, um, is it just, you know, luck lining up condition with emotion, or is it something that you've learned to work with over time? Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, talking about, uh, the expectations, I mean, uh, when like, when I used to go out, um, maybe like maybe three years ago, two years ago, you have that uh, pressure, uh, like there's so much pressure to come back with at least one or two images. But it's like when you don't have, uh, when that weather doesn't line up or uh, what you wanted, like the, the kind of forest you wanted, the kind of fog you wanted doesn't didn't line up. I mean, it's like so much pressure on you, I think. And then since I've started not having that on me, like the kind of expectations I used to have, um, I'm just enjoying the process uh, much more, I feel like. It's like, uh, even if I don't get uh, the image I wanted, I think I'm sure uh, I'll just be happy with the time I've spent. And uh, if I'm happy uh, during that time, I think I'll come back with at least one or two images, which were not uh, what I was expecting. That's a great way to look at it. And I, I've never done that before. And, and just listening to you talk and coming up with ideas about it, it could still be approaching the landscape with that in mind and knowing that you got those conditions, you know, in the can on your hard drive um, and then waiting to edit those when a similar emotion matches up so that at least you have part of the creative process that matches that kind of image and that emotion. Um, I don't know if I'm on to something right. here, but yeah, no, uh, like you mentioned, uh, 
uh, one of the things like how to elicit an emotion out of an image like if you didn't get that kind of an Im uh, image like what you were expecting in the field i mean i think post processing uh, is one of the things that can be really helpful uh, i'm not afraid to uh, really go out of my way to pro post process i mean i'm i'm not really uh, like adding moons or add, uh, like suns where they don't belong but uh, i'm really uh, i'm really into like editing my pictures so they can elicit the kind of emotions uh, I want to. Like, for example, uh, there was one forest scene I wanted to shoot with a lot of wind in it. And I wanted to capture that motion, the, uh, the motion that was happening in the foliage. But I was not able to capture that within the camera itself. But then when I went back to my computer, I uh, using Photoshop and different paths, blurs i was able to get that uh, that kind of uh, effect that i wanted and the kind of emotion out of that image uh, so i think um, i mean as long as uh, you uh, you don't keep it as a secret like i'm not uh, saying that i didn't uh, edit this picture in a way i wanted to i think that's okay and uh, that can be a really good way to uh, get to a point you wanted to get without really uh, uh, getting the kind of picture you wanted to get in the initial uh, phase. What was your learning curve like with post-processing? Post-processing, um, I, I have alway, always really enjoyed uh, post-processing. I feel like I, I spend uh, a lot of time uh, spending uh, editing pictures in Lightroom and Photoshop. Uh, initially, I used to uh, post-process with, like I think the, uh, there used to be a program um, I think it used to be called Picasa uh, by Google. That was a free mm -hmm. program. But uh, starting from there, um, um, starting from there, now I really enjoy editing in Lightroom, and I like to use my scientific background um, uh, to really understand what happens when when you uh, like pr uh, move a slider, like when you move a slider of clarity. What really what's really happening at the pixel level? or what's really happening when you're increasing sharpness or when you're uh, using the Orton effect, for example, what's really happening behind that. I think I really enjoy that uh, process itself. And I think having that knowledge uh, really helps you to get uh, the kind of uh, the desired kind of an effect you wanted uh, in your image. I think hearing you talk about the science uh, approach to post-processing you know brings up a mutual friend that we both know know manuel palacios uh talking about science and photography and and comparing those two and and his name come up came up before we even started recording this episode just as a photographer who's in your area oh, yeah. um it, it's difficult for for me okay so if i'm going back to grade school, uh, high school, I'm very bad at math, very bad at science. Uh, I'm more of a creative thinker uh, and, and post-processing and, and learning those things has always been difficult for me. Uh, did you always know that the science element to your photography was there using digital camera and, and digital files and manipulating those in post-processing? Uh, I wouldn't say uh, I always had this uh, knack in me, but I feel like uh, I like um, uh, I feel like I'm a ma uh, like a maker itself. Uh, so I like to make things. Uh, 
like create things out of something that 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 didn't really be, uh, that uh, didn't exist before so post processing is one of those things that allows me uh, to uh, achieve something that was not previously present in the image itself and uh, get uh, a different kind of a look to your image i think that's why it has helped me it's it's scary to a lot of people learning post processing and and approaching photoshop specifically but right do like you have when you when you jump into lightroom and the first time i mean the the vast number of options the vast number of sliders you have in there it's really daunting but i think uh, with so many uh, like tutorials uh, like paid tutorials and then free tutorials on youtube i think it's getting more and more easy uh, to learn these programs was it easy for you to learn? I think it was uh, mainly uh, like uh, my my initial my background uh, my scientific background really helped me. But yeah, I did um, I did learn from some professional photographers. Uh, like for example, I I'm a big fan of Sarah Marino's tutorial videos, and uh, I learned a lot how to pers- how to post process and to get black and white images from her. And similar to that, uh, Alistair Benz videos, I am a big fan of his videos, like the approach he takes uh, to get uh, the desired effect in your image. Uh, that has helped me a lot. Has, has Alistair also helped you with your approach to discovering your inner self? Because he works a lot on discovering right. your, your inner creativity. Yeah. His podcast, uh, I'm sure you, you, you have followed that, mm-hmm. uh, but the podcast he does on YouTube and uh, the different uh, photographers he invites on on those podcasts those mm-hmm. are really nice and uh, listening to those um, it's really inspirational uh, to uh, like to understand like what's what's the approach uh, these photographers are taking uh, towards their photography and life itself I would say I noticed on your website, some of your images have the human element added to them, whether that be a walkway, a handrail, um, one of those like big things you stand in front of that helps you see really far away. Binoculars, the big binoculars that you can use. Oh, yeah. Are, are human elements something that you aim to include in certain images or, or do you shy away from those? Uh, I think uh, those images are more of an exception in, uh, mm. in my portfolio right now. But yeah, when I'm trying to uh, take pictures uh, in nature, I try to stay away from those uh, human elements. I try to uh, portray a nature scene as it should be uh, without the hand of a person, like without the hand of a man in it. Uh, I try to keep it more na- as natural as possible. Why is that? Uh, I think, um, I mean, that's how a wilderness uh, should be portrayed. Uh, I mean, as naked as it can be without um, the effect of humans seen on it. I mean, that's how it should be viewed as. You know, I'm really interested in in your abstract work. Uh, I think there's a difference in approaching a small scene versus an abstract scene. when do you see something and you think, you know what, this would probably look great as uh, intentional camera movement photograph or uh, an aerial drone shot with pairing patterns together? Um, 
I think this uh, draws back to uh, one of the things I said before was uh, like going without any expectations. Mm. So when I'm at the scene uh, and if I find something, uh, I that would be like uh, completely um, on the spot itself. Like I would not be uh, thinking about uh, that scene before I, I go to the scene itself. So whatever comes up, uh, to me at that point i would i would try to capture that so i mean uh, like you mentioned for example uh, icm so i mean that completely depends on the scene itself if you have uh, like maybe uh, trees uh, uh, like going like the scene going in one direction like one axis itself so uh, that would be really nice for an icm but that like like i said that would completely depend on when you go to the scene and what you feel like the emotions you feel like uh when you go to the scene you know i'm looking at your instagram feed as we speak right now um and and coming across your post and we mentioned the natural landscape photography awards just a minute ago uh your collection on there the the shape of water earned you a fifth place spot when that email came across and you saw that placement um how did you feel knowing that that got such a high placement in the awards? Yeah, I mean, uh, it was a really nice feeling itself. But uh, that was, uh, I mean, uh, the name of that portfolio, that was, uh, the, the, the award was for like the entire portfolio. The name of the portfolio was Shape of Water. Mm-hmm. Uh, that portfolio is, uh, I've been working on that portfolio for uh, around uh, four years now. So like some of those pictures are four year old and then some of the pictures are like three three months old. So uh, I think, that the amount of time I've spent on that, uh, like capturing, uh, like in that, uh, in that portfolio itself, I'm trying to like uh, explore the relationship between water and land and how they interact with each other, uh, and uh, during different seasons, um, different kinds of water bodies, how they interact. Uh, so I think uh, the I think the amount of time spent uh, on that was something, uh, I mean, obviously the judges didn't know that, but I think it shows through that image, uh, that image portfolio. Did you know you were going to start this, this collection, this project, um, this portfolio of images when, when you captured the first image or was it kind of just like you've been saying, you know, you go out and you have no expectations and these photographs just start to come together? Right. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I didn't really know when I took the first image, but as I kept going, it was like finding that pattern, uh, uh, getting those, getting that second image, which kind of fit uh, into the portfolio and then finding another image which which fit fit the portfolio. So I never really went out uh, trying to find uh, a picture that would fit in this portfolio, but it was more like, uh, oh, okay, this image might work in this portfolio. So that was the second uh, secondary thought. It wasn't really uh, on my mind before I go to this location. So I think, yeah, I didn't really expect that. Where where can people go to find more out about you and, and your photography? Uh, so I'm on all the all the social medias uh, like Instagram and Twitter, but um, I post more of my work on my website itself, uh, which is uh, nicknaganephotography.com. Uh, I post uh, maybe like maybe uh, 
one percent of those images on Instagram itself. But uh, I do like to uh, share my work on my website more. Well, he is Nick Nagane. Nick, thank you so much for joining us and uh, talking photography with us. Thank you, David. It was really nice talking to you. So you just heard Nick and I talk about his intentional style of photography and some of the you know ways that he creates those and, and the journey that he took to get to that style of photography that he's so enamored with. Continuing this discussion over on Patreon, Nick Nagane and I are going to talk further about having a portfolio or a gallery, a set of images, and what it takes for one of those to stand out as a full body of work what he views as a way to feature those prominently as an entire collection rather than one single image. Because there's a big difference there and primarily on cohesion. What creates a full body of work, not just one image? And of course, since, you know, Nick does have an Indian background. Uh, we talk Indian food, my favorite type of food. So you'll probably find that intriguing too. If you're a foodie, I couldn't resist asking. So again, if you want to get access to that bonus audio, go to patreon.com slash David Johnston and sign up for a tier that fits your budget, either five, 10 or $20 a month. Thanks so much guys. And I can't wait to see you in the next episode.